0: We started out as a Methodist church, and we have a Methodist altar that has a place for those cups, but we don't have pews for the place for them, so we have to kind of work that out. I was telling a couple of the guys this morning it's just a privilege to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day with the Lord's people some days, and uh, just encouraging to be here with you. Grateful, very grateful that you came today. would love for you to um, follow us um, in our... Uh, series on the family. Um, I believe the Lord very strongly led me. You know, it's been years since I did anything regarding family. Matter of fact, I look back through my nose, I've never taught a family series. I've taught relationship series, but I've never taught a family series, and part of that was because I was not sure how my family was going to turn out, <laughs> and I uh, needed to wait and give that a little time, um, so maybe a little bit of a learning curve for me, So, but I did uh, feel very strongly a few months ago that we needed to use the early part of this year and the, the summertime to talk about family issues and help families be healthier. And there's a lot of problems with families today. Um, we've looked at a lot of those. So, And I do want to uh, encourage you that if you can follow the instructions of the Scriptures, um, no matter how... Um, difficult your family situation is, it will right itself. If you will follow the instructions of Scripture, if you you fail to do that, you set yourself up for lots and lots of stress and complications. And anybody that's spent any time counseling with families knows very well that the, the families that are struggling have just made choices that don't align with God. When we make choices that align with God um it doesn't mean there's not conflict doesn't mean there's not difficulty but the difficulties are far less dramatic far less complicated and much less damaging um when when we have conflict outside of the scriptures and outside of scriptural principles um the the damage gets very bad and uh, so i'm just going to encourage you today to to look into that we we're in part 5 so if you haven't been here you've missed 4 of those and uh, they're all online. I think we got the last one uploaded recently. So all four of those sit online, and you can look those up. But we've been studying from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. There's actually a verse in Jeremiah that's kind of our principal verse. And Jeremiah says roughly this. This He says, I want you to, when you get to a crossroads in your life and you need wisdom, I want you to look at the ancient path. Look back at the old ways and... Uh, You know, in my generation, we called it old school. That's just doing it old school. (laughs) Sometimes the Bible teaches us when it comes to not necessarily, you know, auto mechanics, and not for sure not, you know, your you don't need a royal typewriter, the old fashioned royal typewriter at your house to do your paperwork. You know, that would be foolish with all the electronics we have. So you don't need old school there. But when it comes to family training and values. Old school works every time. And the scriptures teach in Deuteronomy um, that there's some principles that we should stand on. Deuteronomy 6, we talked about this. In Deuteronomy 6, where the Lord says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and teach your family these values. He says, impress them on your children. Remember that word, impress? Um, I had Kurt come up with his big knife and his whetstone because a little bit at a time when you take a knife and run it over that rock a little bit at a time it sharpens and shapes that knife into what you want to be a usable instrument and the the scriptures tell us that with our children we're to sharpen them not stab them (laughs) but sharpen sharpen them a little bit at a time in our daily journey we're to impress them with the with the principles and the values of God. We're to walk in the light of God ourselves and show our children how to do that. Teach your children how to talk in public at a Walmart when you're standing in line. Teach your children how to talk about the things of God. Teach them how to, how to um, share the gospel with your waitress. Teach them how to ask somebody that you just see that's kind of sad or disconnected. Ask them, can you pray for them? I walked out of the Circle K right down here by the church the other day went in to pay for some gas. And when I came out, there was a guy sitting on the curb and he had his head kind of, he was just sitting down. He had his head down in his hands. And I just went over and said, Hey, are you, are you okay? Is there anything I could pray for you about? He looked at me, had tears in his eyes. And I was like, Oh, something's going on. And he'd just gotten bad news from a a family relative that passed away. And he was just kind of sitting there soaking all that in. It was brand new news to him. And it was tough. And I said, well, you know, I'm not anything special, but I'd love to just pray for you about that. And I prayed for him and his family. You know, and I don't know if it ever means anything to him, but I know the Lord saw, wanted me to see that guy. You know, I know that moment was important. Well, you can teach your family how to do those things. So the two things we started our series with are this We live in a cursed society, we live under a curse, and we live in a cursed culture, and we have cursed families. Now, the Bible teaches crystal clear that we live in that curse, and you see it all day, every day. If you're paying any attention to your own brain, even as you sit in church, your brain wanders around because of the curse, wanders around and worries about all kinds of stuff not related to me and teaching at all. You know, you're thinking about lunch, and I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about, man, they put all those just good desserts right there by my office this morning. It's like, oh my goodness gracious, the bake sale's happening in my office. And I had to walk past it a dozen times this morning going, wow. But, you know, it's a chance for you to serve the ministry a little, little while later and do something to help our youth group. But um, but your your brain tends to go all kinds of places because it's, cur- it's got a curse on it and it can't focus. One of the things I'm so excited about going to heaven about is, you know, when you get to heaven and you start worshiping God, there's not going to be a distracting moment in that. You're not going to be singing, you know, like we were singing this morning. You're not going to be singing Amazing Grace and then, you know, looking at the person's hair in front of you going, wow, they came to church like that? Really? You know, I mean, that's not going to happen. Or what happened to his hair kind of deal. You know, that's just just not going to happen. It happens to you here, though, doesn't it? I mean, your brain wanders. You're trying to worship God. And your brain just wanders right away. So that part of that curse just is all over us and in our culture. To break the curse, to break the curse, we have to learn to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Deuteronomy six passage that we talked about. I want to show you something in, in the New Testament. Now, the next part of the series, we're going to turn to Colossians and look at Paul's instructions that he penned when God breathed these words out toward his family or toward the families. And uh, Colossians is a beautiful book. First and second chapter of Colossians explains how we're saved by grace, not by works, not by knowledge. There was a big group of people around Colossae um, in Paul's day that thought, you know, if you just know enough, God will respect that. You have to be knowledgeable. And if you're really smart and you study God's word good um, and you know a lot about things, if you're knowledgeable, you get to go to heaven. Paul said, nah, nah, I won't do it at all. So not going to happen. And he actually teaches all through the first two chapters. um, You're you're saved through the work of Christ on the cross. It's not by your works. It's not by what you know. It's by who you know. And so in the last two chapters of the letter, he turns to the Colossians and he wants this, this little church that's starting out in this little town. He wants them to take their understanding of that grace, saved by grace, and turn it into something practical. So he gives them some very practical instructions to these new believers so they can live in a non-Christian culture with Christian values and Christian testimonies. And this is what I like to call Paul's how-to manual. I really believe Colossians 3 is the how-to manual. When I was a young married guy, and I'm sure Danny and some of the other guys had them, but Time Life Magazine, Time Life Books made these books called the how-to books. And uh, somewhere, I think Caleb ended up with them at his house somewhere, but somewhere in all of our stuff... Um, I have these this whole set of how-tos, and it's how to repair your plumbing and how to lay a foundation for a shed and uh, how to wire a house up, and it's got you know how to fix small engines. There's a how-to book for a little tiny, and one would come every month in the mail and be like, oh, this is awesome, all these great pictures and diagrams in it. Well, this would be Paul's New Testament. Here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Somebody asked Brandon this week. Brandon got a call this week, and somebody asked him, how do you stay tuned into God. I mean, how do you keep God in your life like you do? Well, this is the chapter he could have gone to if he'd, you know, thought through it. Well, dumb kid. (laughs) This is the chapter. Now he, now he knows the answer. Yeah. I'm sure he gave good advice. But here's the chapter where Paul actually says this is how you do it. And I want you to look. I want to go to the end. I want to go to the end because uh, Paul's talking about how we can maintain a consistent and faithful, strong walk with God and to have a healthy and vibrant family. So Colossians 3, start, let's just start at verse uh, 16, will you? Just so you see how it ends, and then we'll come back to the instructions themselves. Let the word of Christ, 316, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another with all psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And that all sounds great. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks uh, through Him... To God the Father. Now watch. There's no break. Your Bible has a break here. There's no break. He's saying all that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all. Sing with hymns and speak to one another. Admonish one another with hymns and songs. Wives. No break. Wives. Be subject to your husbands as it's fitting to the Lord. Ladies, we'll get to that later. Hang in there. Husbands, love your wives. We're going to get to this too, ladies, so don't, fran- don't panic. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So here's where Paul's saying, as true Christ followers, as true Christ followers, here's some family values that we need to live by. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. By the way, husbands is a lot easier for them to be subject to you when you love them well. Uh, husbands, love your wives. And then he, he says to the children um, what they need to do. Well, how do you, how do you do all that? You gotta go back to the beginning of the how-to kind of by let's look at, it at the end of the book. Let's go back to the beginning, Colossians chapter 3, and verse 1. Paul's gonna talk about this new life that we have because we're saved by grace. We have this new life. And so Colossians 3 and verse 1, he actually verse, verse 1 he says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are the earth, for you have died, and your life you're, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, re- is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So when we begin this how-to manual, step one of the how-to manual is to focus on your future home. This is what Paul says. Here, You want to know how he walks with God faithfully and how that works for him? He literally, he literally sets his mind on things above. Since you have, it actually says in the, in the Greek, it doesn't say, some, trans, some of your translations say, if you've been raised with Christ. He's saying since Christ raised you up with him, you died with Christ, you're raised with him, and here's the grammar of this verse. Ready? It doesn't say set. It says literally keep on seeking, keep on setting those things that are, your mind on those things that are above. Keep doing it. Because your decision to trust Christ was the first step in your thinking. See, when you, when you were called to know Christ, now for me that was a very long time ago, second grade, Greystone Christian School. For some of you it was recently, some of you kind of in between. But when you, when you trusted Christ, whatever age you were, you began a process of thinking differently. And so Paul's saying, look, since you've been raised up with Christ, keep on thinking differently. Keep on seeking and trusting Because your first step was to think about Christ and what he could do for your salvation and your future home. One of the reasons I got saved was because I heard a man preach in chapel at my elementary school. He preached on hell. He did magic tricks with fire. And I want to tell you, you do magic tricks with fire in front of me and preach on hell, I'm not interested in going there. I want to go to heaven. So immediately after that chapel, when he offered that we could come up and go to a little room, immediately I went straight to that room and go, hey, signing me up for heaven, buddy. I want nothing to do with fire in my future. So I was already thinking. In second grade, I was thinking about my future. Paul's saying, hey, keep on seeking. Keep on thinking. It means literally continually and daily in the grammar. You know, a Greek verb is very strong compared to English verbs. They have all this emphasis to them and part of what this verb means is all the time every day daily keep seeking the things that are above it's the same word that's used in luke chapter 15 remember when the when jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin um, and the lost son The, the lady that lost the coin remember she lost the coin what did she do to find it she swept the whole house It's the Greek word, keep on seeking. She kept on after it till she found it. Same with the the sheep. So the the word means to continually uh, do it all the time. So what are these things above that I'm supposed to think about? Well, I'll give you a simple list, and then we'll just expand it a little stronger as we go. He really means think about the heavens. There's an old phrase that drives me nuts when people say it. Well, he's so heavenly minded, he ain't no earthly good. That's not possible scripturally. The scriptures teach the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you'll do. That's really what it is. You can't be so heavenly minded, you're not any good. Because this passage is calling us to be heavenly minded. Think about the things in heaven. John 14, Jesus describes a place that He's prepared for us. Now it's in all our old hymns and songs. We call it a what? What's the name of the place we call? I've got a what up in heaven? Victory in Jesus. A mansion. It's not a mansion in the Greek, by the way. It's a dwelling place. It might even just be a hut. I'm okay with a hut in heaven, by the way. Um, but it's not, it's not a mansion. You know, we think a mansions is like, you know, wow, the Biltmore kind of deal. No, no, no. No. It just literally means Jesus built you a home that's yours in his home. Isn't that cool? He built you a place. You have a dwelling place in heaven. Revelation 4 describes a magnificent crystal sea before the throne of god those of us going through the revelation class just eat this stuff up man it is amazing the stuff i'm learning in that revelation class but this magnificent crystal sea that's before the throne of god and i'm pretty sure there's a not a no fishing sign on that sea i'm pretty sure you can fish anytime you want and the throne's right there so you can say to you know i worship you god love you wow look at this you know you can fish all you want there so revelation 21 talks about these city walls of the the city of Jerusalem, when it comes down and and Paul, John gets to see it for the first time, it, he sees these city walls are made of jasper and sapphire and emeralds and topaz and amethyst. And there's this street of gold, he says, that's clear gold, clear gold like glass. Nothing like we've ever seen. That's our hometown. That's our hometown. And so, and then, and then I love this when you think about in heaven. The saints of all generations are there. My mom and dad are there. My, my, my grandmas are there. You know, I think some of my grandpas made it. <laughs> so I'm not sure about a couple of those. But I know my grandmas are there. My, my brother's there. My family's there. But then the saints of ages are there. There's Moses and Sarah and Elijah and Esther. All the people we read about in all these stories, David and Jonathan, they're all there. And we get to walk around and talk to them because they're our brothers and sisters in heaven. Isn't that cool? Keep seeking things above. It's amazing how we get lost in what's here and we forget where we're headed. You know, that's, that's the end game for us. It's where we're going. And Paul says, get your mind up there. Set your focus there. Keep your focus there. All the disciples are there. Apostle Peter, those of you that relate to Peter, Brandon, those of you that late to Peter, can't keep your brain focused for two seconds. That's Peter. You know, you get to shake hands with him and go, man, how in the world did we make it here? The thief on the cross, the thief on the cross is in heaven. You get to shake hands with him. Isn't that cool? We're going to get to shake hands with him and just go, you got to tell that story one more time, <laughs> you know, because you weren't even a good thief, man. You were in bad trouble that day. You were having the worst day of your life, and all you said was hey, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he's like, oh, this day you'll be in paradise. You gotta, I mean, that's got to give you chills. And even in heaven, you got to get chills when he says that and goes, yeah, I was having the worst day of my whole life, the end day of my whole life. And I made that one choice that was the right choice. Isn't that cool? All those people are in heaven. You get to talk to all of them, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the saints of old the centurion. Remember there's a centurion in the New Testament that Jesus says of the centurion and it freaked out the Jews. It freaked them out. He said, I've never seen this much faith in all of Israel. That guy's in heaven. You get to go up to him and go, Hey, you're that Roman centurion guy. That was a pretty fun day, wasn't it? Yeah. So you get to talk to all of them, Lazarus and um, I wanna I want to meet the Samaritan woman at the well. See if she's kind of got her act cleaned up, you know? She's a rough lady. I mean, she really had a lot of stuff going on. She was very embittered at Jews and everybody on that day. And she was not a polite woman. And you know when she gets to heaven, she's just filled with grace. And what a great, great opportunity to get to meet all those people. But here's what the passage is saying. Keep your focus in heaven is what Paul's saying. Focus on the things above. The text literally says, my, my New American Standard says, set your mind on these things, but the word mind doesn't appear in the text. It's a word that literally means your inner disposition because in the Greek it means all that happens inside you that makes you think what you think and act like you act. Focus that on heaven. All of your inner workings, all of your inner workings, your inner disposition, um, set that, and it's a very deep concept, But we're to keep, and then the the grammar here is we're to keep the direction of our thinking toward heaven. We're also to keep the desires because that inner disposition is where your desires are found. So Paul's saying desire the heaven stuff, the heaven stuff. Get your focus there, not here. Now, obviously, we have earthly desires. And he built us, God built us with earthly desires. You know, I can't tell you how bad I desire those key lime pies that Danny made out there. I mean, I just can't tell you. And then there's all that chocolate stuff. Man, I'm desiring, okay? That's an earthly desire. And it can't override my heavenly desire. I've fought it all morning long, by the way. So far, and as soon as church is over, I'm there. But do you understand, we, we are to set our desires, the desires of our life are in heaven. Uh, this is where the, the center of your focus is supposed to be. Get your focus right. Get your mind's desires on the things of heaven. And the, the importance of that, I, I had this video I thought about showing you, but I just thought I'd tell you instead. Um, there's a YouTube video. I saw it years ago and I had to finally find it this past week. Um, but it's, it's a bunch of photographers and all my photographer friends Okay, take good note um, of the importance of knowing where to focus. Okay, Because there are some photographer guys in, in Europe There are these train tracks that run across the road, and they stand in the intersection of the road and the train tracks, and they take pictures of trains as they're coming at you, okay? And they stand next to the track and take pictures. Well, there's four or five tracks, and there's this one YouTube where the guy is actually taking a picture this way, and a train's coming this way, and he is within just a foot of the track. When that train... And it's not a place it's going to stop. It goes screaming by, and it literally takes his coat and his hat and everything goes right around him. And he's he's all focused here, can't wait to get a picture of that train. And there's one about to take the back of his head off. Right, his focus was all wrong. Okay, you got to pay attention to your environment where you are. So, camera folks, all you photography people, pay attention, pay attention. Yeah, I I was looking at the stats on how many people with those what is a stick. Things you hold the camera, what does that call? The selfie sticks. All the deaths have been caused by people with selfie sticks. They back over cliffs and stuff. It's like, hey, that's not real smart. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, I mean, I feel bad for them, but at the same time, you know, you gotta think through that. A lot of lot of deaths caused by the selfie sticks out there because their focus has gotten wrong. So, <clears throat> the key to being good at using a computer program, all you programming people, and even if you go way back to when they first came out with computers for us, for my generation. The, the way to use the computer, you had to know where to look. You had to know where to turn your focus, because it's all this, you're going, what is that flashing thing there, and how do I move this over there, and all that. You had to know where to keep your focus. And even today, if you're going to run a good program, if you want to use a Word document or something real fancy, some of this real fancy publishing and print shop stuff and all that stuff, you got to know exactly where to look to get the thing you need to make it happen, right? got to have your focus exactly right. The key to safe driving, young people, the key to safe driving is to know where to look, where to keep your focus. And it's not on your phone, okay? It's not in your car, not your radio. It's the traffic. Keep your eye on the traffic, okay? That's the key to safe driving. Um, The key to staying alive in most video games, all you gaming folks, just to speak to you for a minute. It's to know where to look. Because in a video game, you'll be playing this part. Some guy from over here goes, you're done. You're like, "Hi, where'd that guy come from, right? So key to staying alive. Um, I t- I've told you the story before, but when I was at uh, UMS and I played high school baseball, the baseball practice field, or our field, has a brick wall behind it. And it's an orange brick wall. UMS, the old UMS is orange. It's got orange brick in it. And it's the same color, by the way, (laughs) as a used baseball. Not a shiny new white one like we played in games. But our practice balls was exactly the color of that block wall. Exactly the color. And if the coach that was at practice was hitting balls to the outfield, center field with me, when he was hitting the balls, if that ball didn't clear the fence, clear the block wall behind the deal, it was very hard to find because it was exactly the same color. You had to watch it leave the bat... And if it was a line drive to center field, you better be sure you're going to have to chase after it and get on it. Now, if it cleared, you could catch it, you know, a lot easier on the back of the, on the trees and that kind of stuff. But I was at practice one afternoon. It was a Saturday morning, actually. We had a Saturday afternoon game. We were doing a Saturday morning practice because our Friday practice went so bad. And we're out there. My coach was a uh, retired Marine drill sergeant. (laughs) So you can imagine how when practices go bad, they go really bad. (laughs) So but I was out there with practice, you know, center fielder lined up, and the infield started goofing off, goofing off like crazy, while they while he was hitting balls to him. And it just infuriated the coach. He said a bunch of words. He said, yelled at him. And the next thing you know, he's just driving balls as hard as he can. You know, second base, third base, shortstop, first base, center, or, or pitcher center. <laughs> the pitcher he's hitting at everybody in the infield. He's just wearing them out. I mean, he's drilling them hard as he can. You know, so we're just out in the outfield board. You know, you know those poor idiots in there, you know. Well, the next thing you know, I hear the crack of the bat, and it was really loud. And I was like, wow. You know, I'm not paying any attention to what's happening. But when I look up to the infield to see who that ball was hit to, they're all looking at me. I mean, the whole infield did this. And I'm standing there looking at them going, huh, wondering wonder why they're looking at me. Because I don't see it coming. And I'm, I'm just standing there, gloved down, going, you know. And then it occurs to me, there's fixing and and i mean it was right here and then it was right here and then i was right there you know just down i went and i was unconscious for like four or five minutes and you know i had this giant goose say he hit a line drive to center field you know why because i was goofing off not paying attention what i should be paying attention to and he's like i'll show him pop you know and i'm like why is everybody looking at me down you know i'm down just down So it's very important to keep your focus. That was the last baseball game I ever played in high school, by the way, because I had a concussion. Um, Very important to keep your focus. Keep your focus. And the Bible teaches us how important it is. Notice, too, Paul says, if you want to be very specific, he says, keep seeking things above where Christ is seated, where Christ is seated. How often do you think about Christ? our Savior, our Lord, our friend, sitting on the throne next to God, interceding on your behalf. That's what the Bible says He's doing up there. He's interceding on your behalf. He's watching over us. How often do you think about that? The Bible says you should do it daily. You should daily remember, oh, Lord, you're in the heavens and all's good because I signed up in the book of life and you got me and I got you. We should rest in that deal. Now, how important is it to do that? How important it is to do that? Well, I want you to look at Romans chapter 8. Come me on the screen here. Let's just look at it on the screen together. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. <clears throat> the heavenly focus looks like this. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things... Uh, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. Keep going. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's what the Bible says. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The mindset on the flesh, earthly things, is death. Which one do you want? Which one do you want your brain to engage with? Life and peace or death? Well, you have to set your mind on spiritual things for that to happen. And, and uh, Philippians chapter 3 is a great way to see it as well. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippians Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Watch this. For many who walk, for many walk, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping, they are very important wording. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, not something you want labeled to you. You do not want to be an enemy. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite. Their, their glory is in their shame. And how do they do that? They set their minds on earthly things. And then Paul says, hey, but us. No, that's not us. For we, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. Can't you see Paul going, oh, can't you see him on the throne just waiting? Man, this last Thursday night in our Revelation study, uh, we were talking about um, Christ seated on the throne, and God the Father next to Him. And when God says it's time, Christ is coming back for us. And we were just talking about how God, they're watching. They're watching over this, and God knows the exact right time. And the Son is waiting on the instructions from His Father. And I've just pictured that in my head a thousand times this weekend, going, oh, Lord, come on, just any time now would be great. But He's waiting on the events to be just right. When they're just right, it's when he's going to send his son to come and redeem us from all nations and tribe and tongues back into heaven. So, But the Bible says our, our mindset, we, we can be enemies of the cross if we set our minds on earthly things, but if we set our minds on heavenly things as we are citizens of heaven, it's life and peace. So that's how important this is. That's why Paul's saying, hey, in the how-to manual of life, step number one for you Christians, get your mind off of this stuff. Quit fretting over all of this and regularly, daily, consistently think about the things in heaven. Focus on your future home, your your future home. Now, just a side note. It's not in your notes. Just a quick side note. Why that's so important to every generation. Do you know where you're the most loved? In heaven. Do you know what secures people? The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. You know how to overcome your fears and your anxieties and your worries and your frustrations? You know how to overcome disappointment? By knowing how greatly you're loved. You know where you're the most loved? In heaven. Jesus Christ sits on the throne loving you like nobody can ever love you. So if you will dwell on Him and His love for you, it settles and secures your whole life. That's how you help young people wrestle through the issues of life and not freak out. Because they can be perfectly loved. Maybe their family doesn't love them perfectly. Maybe your family didn't love you perfectly. But your Father in heaven and His Son Jesus, they have always loved you perfectly. And you talk about settling your heart. Well, I'm loved perfectly in the heavens. In the heavens, I'm loved perfectly. And I can't lose it, by the way. You can't lose that love once you've accepted Christ your Savior. Your Bible says you're sealed until the day of redemption. So it's a permanent deal. Matter of fact, let me just take you through these facts that you get. Paul gives us some facts to help us remind us about this. And the, the fact is, number one, you died with Christ. He says it in the verse. You you died with Christ. Romans, and it's called the vicarious atonement. Romans 6 says when Christ died on the cross, he was your substitute, so you didn't have to die. See, you're supposed to be the one hanging on the cross. You're supposed to be one with nail prints and scars on your back and spear pierced in your side and all that. That's supposed to be us. But Jesus substituted himself for us. The really fancy, cool term for that is vicarious atonement. It means that Jesus took our place. And Paul says, hey, you want you need to get your mind right about the future. Let's remember what Christ did for you. He took your place. He died in your place. He paid your debt so you don't have to pay a debt. Now, that's very cool. He paid off your full debt so you don't have to pay off a debt. Second fact that Paul gives us is your life is hidden with Christ in God. The word hidden literally means locked together. Locked together. It means your life's kept safe by Christ in God. It's literally a double safe. It's in Christ with God. You think anybody's getting through that? When you trust Christ as your Savior, He locks you into Him. And God and Christ have you. And nobody can take that away. That's why Jesus says, no man can pluck you from my hand. -uh. No, you are locked in with me. That's some security. And his love is always going to be there. Kenneth Weiss, the Greek scholar, says about this verse, your new spiritual life is no longer in the sphere of the earthly and the sensual, but it is with the life of the risen Christ who is unseen with God. It's safe and it cannot be taken away. And then the third fact that we find here in this verse is that Christ is your life and you'll be with Jesus in glory. He actually ends the section, this first how-to step, focus on your future. He says, don't forget, you're locked with Him and you'll be with Him in glory. So not only do you get to walk with Moses and David and Nathaniel and Elijah and Elisha and all those guys and Esther, not only do you get to walk with all those people, you get to walk with Jesus in heaven. You get to talk to Him. You get to spend time with Him. You will be with Him in glory. It doesn't get any better than that. It just can't get any better than that. That's the future. That's the future for us. It's secure. It's double secure, and you get to live with God. People worry about heaven being boring. I want to tell you something. God is far from boring, and all you got to do is look at any intricacy of nature to figure that out. God is fascinatingly entertaining, and everything He's created is brilliant beyond brilliant. Even the fallen part of nature Blows our minds. Can you imagine what the glorified part of nature is going to look like for us? The 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 glorified heavens and earth. There'll be no end to the mind blowing awesomeness of heaven. It's not going to be boring in heaven. It's going to be so exciting you're almost not going to be able to stand it. It's the most exciting thing ever. By the way, there's no pain and suffering there. There's full joy, full contentment, and you're hanging out with God and Jesus. You're hanging out with God and Jesus. So if you want to have a strong family, if you want to have a good, strong, healthy family, you need to have a personal relationship with Christ that secures your future. You need to be personally connected with Christ so your future is secure. And when your future is secure, then you just focus on your future. Say, hey, it's all messed up down here, but I know how it's going to get. I know what's going to happen. I need to focus on the future home and not on things of this earth. Amen? Let's bow our heads together. We're going to sing a little closing hymn just to close out our service and then Brandon's going to give us some announcements.